0: Welcome to Inside Personal Growth Podcast. Deep dive with us as we unlock the secrets to personal development, empowering you to thrive. Here, growth isn't just a goal, it's a journey. Tune in, transform, and take your life to the next level by listening to just one of our podcasts. Well, welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. Ben, all these listeners know me. They've heard me for years and years, 17 years now, and almost 1,100 podcasts. So I think they got it. Joining us from New York is Ben Gutman. And Ben has a book out called Simply Put Why Clear Messages When and How to Design Them. And the book is great because all you got to do is dig into this and and you're going to see that. Most of us try and overkill our messaging. Uh, and I told Ben, as we came into this, if there's one thing that I, my list, I like to get out of it is how simple less is more. <laughs> hey, Ben, how are you doing today?
1: Oh, great to be here, Greg. I appreciate it. And thanks for the kind words about the book.
0: Oh, it's a great book. And um, in in reality, uh. Your message is so important for people to hear, but I'm going to let him know a little bit about you. Uh, he says he's interested in things and ideas that move people, obviously. Uh, why do we make the decisions we make? How do we vote for who we vote for? Why do we buy the products we buy? And ultimately, why do we do what we do? Um, that's the psychology of, of marketing and messaging. Um we're not as smart as we think we are, he says. Uh, we're busy and distracted in a distracted world that's incentivized to continually make us um, more of both. Uh, the only thing that works, the only messages that cut through the noise are the sharp, clear and direct messages. Um, right now, he has this new book out, which I just held up, which is a Barrett Kohler book, Simply Put. Um for a long time, he owned a company called Digital Natives Group, an award-winning marketing agency based in New York. I started out working with local ice cream parlor and camera shop repair and grew this company to partnering with the NFL, I Love New York, Comcast, NBC, Universal, The Nature Conservancy, and other incredible brands. So he really, congratulations to you, Ben, for building a very huge uh, a digital uh, company and through his publishing practice, he helped launch over 60 best-selling books from Hashe Book Group, Penguin, Random House, Simon Schuster, and other important imprints, including from Nobel laureates, Fortune 500 CEOs, Hollywood screenwriters, and uh, Pulitzer Prize winners, with more than 60 industry awards, including prestigious Webby and Short Mods, and all. And he sold Digital Natives in 2021. And since then, he's been out on his own and he's got a website that you all can go to which is www.bengutmanguttmann2ends on the end of that m a n n.com there you're going to learn more about him his book his consulting his speaking and the resources that he has there for you um, so ben welcome to the show
1: um, oh, well, thanks for having me, Greg. That's that's a wonderful and a very in-depth introduction.
0: Well, sometimes they are, and sometimes that's good. And, and if I get the listeners to list past the introduction, they usually then listen to the rest of the podcast. So um, <laughs> you mentioned the preface of your book, that it turns out that simple isn't so simple. And it sure as hell isn't easy. I liked that. Um, what advice do you have or creating simple messages and what do you mean by simple and now this message let's just take this this is a message for your company your brand the things that he did your book uh, anything you're trying to convince people that they can't do without <laughs> okay um, the other thing might be in messaging also and I think he's the uh, king at this is, you know, I think we ought to all look at how we message our emails as well. Um, Mm -hmm. We aren't very intentional many times about the emails that we send out. So can you you talk about that, making things simpler?
1: Absolutely. So I'm I'm glad you mentioned that bit at the beginning. So uh, I I start off on like page one saying that, that, you know, I'm, the reason the reason I kind of got into this was because, as you mentioned, I ran a marketing agency for ten years. I was curious then in the practice of doing it, why things worked and why other things didn't work. But then when I sold the agency, I still was curious about that. I wasn't in the trenches as much. Clients weren't hiring. um you know weren't kind of tasking me of the day-to- day stuff, but the the fundamental question still remained, which is, okay, how do you connect with uh, how do you connect what's inside you? Which inside your company inside your brand inside your 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 brain with the audience and how do you do it in a way that that makes them uh understand it that makes them uh you know move to action and so the answer is simple it, it that is all that's literally the answer is that the messages the communication that is more effective is simpler and the ones that aren't are more complicated uh, and if, if that's enough and I say this kind of on that first page if that's enough you don't need anything else if if all you need to hear is you know simple messaging wins say it simply then you're good you don't need the rest of it uh but the other 207 pages of the book uh are uh are about the why and the how behind it because that ultimately was the really interesting part of this which is okay well what are the mechanisms that are happening that's happening inside our brain uh that makes us respond to that uh why is it so difficult for us to to get there, why is it difficult for us to, to become simple communicators? And then, okay, how do we bridge that gap? And that's the second part, which is the the five different principles that I've identified that help us kind of bridge those two closer together.
0: Well, and the other thing people are challenged by, and I remember an MIT uh, professor coming on here speaking about her book around choices, our decisions. You know, you go to the grocery store, you walk down the aisle, you find uh, five different peanut butters. It becomes different. Difficult to make a choice or differentiate uh, between these, and actually, less peanut butter is sold the greater the number of choices there are to make. And you mm-hmm. talk about label the communications equation. You say there's two halves, and this is the sender and receiver, and this is true in every communication. Um, if we are the senders, how do we bring fuzzy ideas into reality with the receiver? And when we say fuzzy, I think fuzzy is in almost all of them because sometimes you don't quite understand what the merchant, in this case, or seller, is really trying to sell and why they're selling it and how does it get cool and why is it that I just need to have one of those, (laughs) whatever it might be.
1: Oh, yeah. So... Uh, The senders and receivers, I put that in the book uh, to appropriately simplify the equation because everybody says, oh, I'm not a marketer, I'm not an advertiser, I'm not. We said, listen, strip it down to the core element of communication. Every message, if it is a big ad campaign, if it is an email, if it is a proposal, it is from one sender to one receiver. And the sender can be anybody who, and we go back and forth on who this is, but you know, it could be the advertiser, the advocate, the politician, the leader, the entrepreneur, the manager. That's the sender. The receiver is the voter, the buyer, the donor, the student, the, the, the person who, uh, you want to reach with your message. And when you simplify it to that level, you get to the fundamental truth that kind of drives the rest of, of the book, which is just like if you were mailing a letter, the sender is responsible for the literal and metaphorical cost of the communication that mm-hmm. you have to put that kind of humble hat on. We wake up every single day and we care about so many things. We care about our family and our friends and our sports teams and the deadline coming up and this vacation, but we don't care about what you have to say by default. We just, we're just busy. You know, the average American spends 13 hours a day, Consuming some form of media. It's a lot of stuff that gets blasted at our brains on a daily basis. And so because of that, we have to acknowledge that we're we're fighting this uphill battle that it has to matter to them, we 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 take all this stuff in, we throw it, we put it in our brains, we immediately dispose of the things that don't that don't matter to us. Mm. but if so the sender is responsible for uh, making sure that the message is communicated. Uh, the receiver you know, is is the one that you want something out of, right? You, you want them to understand something. You want them to buy your stuff. You want them to vote for you or donate to you. It's the it's not their responsibility to listen to you. It's your responsibility to make sure that you're meeting them where they are.
0: Clear and concise. Yeah. You know, I love what you did. You took a, one of the pages of the books, and it's only half of the page, but you put a chart in the book about notice, remembered, and understood um noticed i want to repeat that for people listening noticed remembered and understood can you explain how we as human beings only understand a small fraction of what we notice and why it's so important to creating a clear message that's going to win because mm-hmm. i i think many of us are distracted if we're on the computer most of the day you're distracted Five, six, seven times, all you got to do is go to your your junk mail or your spam or whatever, and you click on something before you know it. You've clicked on something else. You're down a rabbit hole, and you're looking at something. But at some point, some message got your attention, enough to maybe take 15 or 20 minutes of your time to either decide, well, that's something I really should look into, or maybe not, right?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. So. You know, we we grew up as a species in a world where a lot of things wanted to eat us, right? Uh, and we developed these mechanisms that allowed us to process a lot of the stimuli coming in quickly, determine if it's something that makes, that's important to us, that rises to our attention, and then act upon that and then kind of dispose of the rest of it. So at the first level, you know, if I'm, if I'm uh, you know, walking around, Two hundred fifty thousand years ago and i see kind of a leaf uh rustle or branch crack off in the distance well okay i pay attention does that make does that is that important to me and as soon as i uh process that well okay maybe it make maybe it does matter to me i'm going to go pay attention to it. it's going to go further down the funnel but if i quickly decide you know what these things aren't important to me they get thrown out most of the the data that our brains collect gets thrown out immediately, you know, Mm -hmm. huge, like 99.99%, a big, big, giant multiple of it. We just, we process them that comes in, hits our eyeballs, hits our ears, eardrums, and we, we, we dispose of it. Some things do rise to our attention and then we, we will uh, remember them and maybe there'll be something that uh, we take some action on, but then even fewer things are the things that we, that we, we transfer to kind of our long-term memory, the things that we actually commit on an ongoing basis. Uh, so it, it's just basically trying to explain that there's all these hurdles that we face, and I call it like our stupid brains in our busy world, right? there, we, We're not very good about, um, we, we think we notice most things, we think we remember more things, and we think we understand more things than we actually do. Most things kind of just get thrown out at each one of those levels. Uh, and when you combine that with a world that less things are trying to eat us, but more things are trying to, you know, get our wallets or get our attention. Well, it ends up being a very urgent issue for us to communicate um, in a way that respects that reality.
0: It's true. And I want to talk to this uh, topic of the biases, right? Um, you you gave a partial list in the book, going inside of our heads, and the messages that get from the sender to the receiver. But all of us have biases, doesn't matter. And you talk about an availability bias, complexity bias, false consensus effect, and some of the other filters that we actually already have when the stuff comes across. Um, what, how would a receiver better be, or I should say a sender, better be able to get the message to the receiver when we're dealing with all of these biases?
1: So that that ends up being kind of the core foundation of of what we're trying to address here. So I'll I'll back up a little bit and, and address a, a couple of them. So the first one, the first thing that we have to understand is uh, this word fluency. This is this is the foundation behind uh, most of what we're going to talk about when we talk about simplicity. The word fluency. It's you and I. You know, we're fluent in English, Spanish, Mandarin. We'd be fluent in you know, in, in football or whatever, where we're fluent, things are easy, right? Things are flowing. That's the Latin root of the word fluency. Uh, so if you ask a cognitive scientist about fluency, though, they're going to have that mean a slightly different thing related, but slightly different. It describes how easy is it for you to take something from out in the world, stick it in your head and make sense of it. How much work does that take? Is there a lot of friction in that? is it take more kind of mental processing power that's less fluent if it's easy, if it's if, you know if the door to your mind is a well-oiled hint, you know it's going to it's going to uh, be more fluent And when you look at what uh, our associations are, well things that are more fluent, we're more likely to buy them, more likely to trust them, more likely to like them all the mm-hmm. things that we want when we're either an advertiser or an advocate or anybody else. The inverse is also true, which is that, well, when it's less fluent, when it takes more time and effort and sweat to understand something, to process, to perceive and to process something, well, less likely to buy it, less likely to like it, less likely to trust it. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously not what we want most of the time. So that's, that's the, the fluency heuristic. That is the, the foundational piece of why simplicity is important. Mm -hmm. But the other side, of the coin, why senders have such a hard time meeting us there, meeting receivers at at simplicity is well, we have all sorts of um all sorts of things that kind of push us internally and externally in that opposite direction towards complication. Internally we're subject to what's known as an additive bias. We are more likely to add than subtract when we're faced with a choice. And there's there's all sorts of reasons why that's the case externally well we're incentivized by the systems around us if it's if it's our bosses and our board members um or the newspaper or or the algorithm on our resume all these things that point us to saying well more is better most of the time we we need more because more covers our butt more we get uh, an award for building something not for maintaining something right all these things externally also push us towards more towards complicated and then also we frankly we use it as a shield right you know we we often will hide behind complicated when right. you know, we don't really know what else to do so right we that's say we don't we,
0: we'll actually tell the sender that we don't understand so you you yeah. know, and that's an excuse for saying i don't have enough information to buy what it is you have um and if you're not a good job at getting at that you know and i think those biases are so it's so obvious that we've got them. But one of the things you state in the book was to create fluent simplicity in communications. We got to design it. That's what the book's about is designing. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you address the elements that should be included in a design if we were to get our message across and received favorably? And you have these outlined as beneficial, focused, salient, empathetic, and minimal. And I think if a reader just got that out of your book and was trying to design a message and said, hey, why is it beneficial to XYZ customer? How focused is the message? How salient? How empathetic am I being? And how minimal? I think those are key areas. Could you address them a little bit more in detail?
1: Certainly. So you you hit the nail on the head there, which is those... Design principles are the things that help bridge that gap between where we want to be as receivers and where we are as senders. That's that's the whole we have to figure out. And so you mentioned design. My background's in design. This uh, this framework in the book is not a step by step plan. It's not a you know a rubric. It's a uh, it's not a checklist. It's it's a set of principles, a set of design principles that help us get closer. The more we adhere to them, the more we pay attention to them, the better we're going to be at at kind of closing that that hole. So beneficial. You mentioned it's what's in it for the receiver. What's in it for mm-hmm. them? Exactly. Features yeah. versus benefits. We thought um, we focused. Are you trying to say one thing, or you're saying multiple things at once? Is it one idea, or is it kind of three ideas in a trench coat? salient does your message stand out from the noise does it rise to your attention does it contrast empathetic are you speaking in a language that the audience understands that the receiver understands both in terms of the, the literal language but also their emotions their motivations uh, their you know where they are and then lastly it's minimal which is have you cut out everything you don't need and kept everything only what is important and when we talk about minimal it's a. This is a. You know, going into the weeds here a little bit, but talk about minimal. It's not about the fewest number of words or the least number of sentences or paragraphs. It's the least amount of friction, mm-hmm. and that's often what people get confused about. Is that they they think well, it has to be simple means short. Well, it's correlated with short, but it's not necessarily the same thing.
0: Right. Right. No. It. It. It's really this part of the book. I'm saying is really probably foundationally uh the most important part uh for the reader to get, especially if you're trying to design a message that moves somebody to take some action. Uh I'll tell you because you then go on to say that the consumers are willing to pay more for simplicity. Uh, you mentioned memorable ads like Nike, just do it, Burger King, have it your way. Um, speak with us about the differences between complicated and complex uh, you know I, mean, I, I I think in those two brands that I just talked about, there's a lot of people that have gone now down to including all of the things that you buy the lack of instructions because they're saying hey we don't want to put lots of instructions in the box right We need to make this simple. Um, and I think that some of our better, designed products, and I'm kind of biased. I use an Apple computer. Apple does a great job of that. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, speak with us about that, because there's an important thing between being complicated and complex.
1: Oh, I, absolutely. And there's funny. If there's any regret I had in the book, it, it's uh, leaning a little bit too much into the taglines earlier in the book. Because I that was a quick way for people to understand some of these pieces. But I actually think that what is most useful for a lot of people is what you mentioned a moment ago: their emails, their business proposals, their their PowerPoint presentations. All of those things are are uh, much more common of a piece of communication that you're you're creating than I'm sitting here writing a tagline. It certainly applies to both, but uh, you know, I I thought that you know the taglines are quick, easy ways to kind of digest them, and you understand some of the those hit different pieces of its saliency, of its focus, of it's, em- its empathy. Um but but uh the, the i'm glad you mentioned at the top of the conversation stuff about email and everything else cuz that's what we do on a day-to-day basis and i think that's really important right um but to to dig into your question there about complex versus complicated uh i uh, outline what the difference is which is complexity is there being a lot of parts it's there being a lot of interconnected pieces between them um there are complexity is a state of nature there's there's lots of things that are complex in the man-made world, in the natural-made world, uh, from like the human eyeball to international diplomacy to you know mergers and acquisitions. All those things can be really complex. We put up with complexity. We do not put up with complicated. Complicated is artificially created complexity. It's when things could be simple, but we choose to make them complicated. We choose to make them complex. Mm-hmm. it's when we pulled that way instead of doing the work to go towards the simple end of things we don't want complex complex which is you know the natural state we, we, we don't we don't want um complicated uh instructions about how to assemble our furniture the pto memo for you know for our company uh, those could be simple but we choose to make them complicated um we will see. we will we'll read war and peace we'll learn how to play the piano those are complex things but like your ad for a new shampoo isn't one of those things. It isn't one of those things that's pulling people in the same way that that things that um that that do succeed that are complex.
0: Yeah, and, it, and I think that's a great differentiation that you point out. It's like, come, we're we're okay with complex, but not complicated. Um, and I would agree with you on everything that you buy. You're willing to put up with. You know, looking at the instruction manual, working through it, doing whatever you're going to do. But when somebody makes it too complicated, it's like there's these doors being put up that you're having to go through and go through and go through again and again. And I don't think people like that. And you use this analogy in your book, and I thought it was a really good one because it was a lofty, 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 huge idea. And that was that you spoke about the space rates in the 50s. When you use the example of the Soviet Union who launched their first satellite in 57 and then the first cosmonaut in 1961. Now, that's when the space race was kind of going on. That's when Kennedy was around. And you talked about JFK's famous speech about going to the moon and how efficient and effective this speech was to unite the country around an Apollo mission. And I actually remember that talk. Uh, I'll be 70 in July. So I'm old enough to actually remember JFK getting up and doing that, co- that talk. How do we make the decisions, uh, to do things and drill? Because you use this analogy again about the drill in the hole analogy. So what happened is I, I don't want to confuse the listeners. Are you buying the drill for the drill? Or are you buying the drill for the hole? Right? And I think the most important thing is that you need the hole in the wall. You don't need the drill, right?
1: Oh yeah. So there's a Harvard professor from the 60s, uh, Theodore Levitt, who came up with this quote, which is people don't want a quarter-inch drill, they want a quarter-inch hole. Right. Right. And I tell my students when I teach now, uh, I tell them if you forget everything else that I taught you in this class and everything else that you learned in this whole degree. If you remember that sentence you're going to be ahead of most people in business most people in marketing uh it is uh, 100% true you know we don't even want the whole I would actually argue you can go even further you want the picture on the wall and you don't even want the picture on the wall you want to see your family every day when you walk down the hallway because of love and belonging right that you want that kind of core foundational need so you can interrogate Find your way from the beginning to the end there by asking, so what? You know, what's the, what's the benefit that I'm getting out of something? Kind of the 101 of marketing of sales, the people don't buy features. They buy benefits. They don't want the thing. They want what the thing does for them. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the Kennedy anecdote and, you know, he, when, when you look at his, his speech to Rice University, uh, university, you know, or at, at Texas, he he goes and he talks. Um, he talks at length about a lot of different things. He does talk a little bit about rocket engines and metal alloys and those type of like features. But the part that people remember, the part that that gets played over and over again, the part that actually motivated people, was when he answered the why? you know, it says, why the moon? Why do we choose this as we go? And then we ch- say he says we choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because the goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because the challenge is one that we are willing to accept, one that we are unwilling to postpone, and one which we intend to win, and others too. And so, in that paragraph there, you 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 understand the benefits. The benefits of going the to the moon is, is it's victory, right? Like that—that's yeah. the benefit. This is an era this is the Cold Wars, is us versus them. Yeah. It's victory. There's other benefits. There's some functional benefits. We talks about the measure of our energies and skills. All those are true, but the real emotional benefit is 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 the is is the victory. So, how do you translate that to something like uh, something like a, a commercial or an advertisement? Well, I'll give you another example. So, uh, toothpaste has like a mint flavor, right? So, mint flavor. That's the feature. But does anybody, do you really want the mint flavor? I said, well, so what about the mint flavor? Well, if there's mint flavor, I'm going to have fresher breath. Great. Okay. I got down. That's the functional benefit. That's the first level of it. Okay. Well, do I even want fresh breath? Well, not really. What I really want, so what, is I want to be more successful on my date tonight. Right? And okay, all of a sudden, I got to this level. I got to this emotional benefit of what I'm getting out of that. That mint flavor, and I can ask it again. I can ask it a third time and say, "So what?" And they say, "So what?" Well, that brings me down to the fundamental need. We can look at, you know, kind of Maslow's Maslow's categorization of needs, and we can say, "Well, if I have a more successful date, maybe that's a physiological need that I'm filling, right? Or it's a love and belonging need that I'm filling." And so, by just asking "So what?" three times, we can get pretty far down to our core motivations, and then you can turn it around. And you could say, well, that need, that corresponds with what direction we want to go in. That's kind of the, the emotional. And then we say, okay, well, the, the emotional benefit, that's the headline. That's the hook. That's the, the title of our deck or whatever it is, subject line. And then you go on, you say, with well, the functional benefits, we talk about those a little bit. We then eventually, we talk about the features. And by doing it in that order, you organize your message in a way that is a better natural fit to how we want to receive communication.
0: I remember this, and you might know this, or maybe you've talked about it in your class, but there used to be the old Ben Franklin T, the advantages for going for or against something. And he used to be put a T up, Ben Franklin did, and he he would take in what, you can call this a sales talk, you can call it a presentation, whatever you want. As long as the advantages for are greater than the reasons against, The reality is usually you're going to win. You're going to get the message across. And you showed two ads in your book, again, regarding this drill and hole concept, that we only buy the drill because we need the hole that's in the wall or whatever we're trying to do. Can you speak about, and I'm wearing Warby Parker glasses right now, and I love the Warby Parker company, Um, this online eyeglass company that created their message. And I'm just using them as an example because there's a lot, but um, I can tell you why I moved to the Warby Parker glasses and all my listeners versus some of the others because they were giving a pair away Um, when I bought a pair, right? Uh, The other thing is they're inexpensive. The other thing is they look nice. The other thing is they make you feel good. You get compliments with them on, whatever it Mm -hmm. is. But uh, the messaging, and in the marketplace of eyewear at the time Warby Parker Warby Parker was hugely disruptive against all of the other competitors out there right
1: Oh yeah i mean so Warby Parker um uh you know the the, the biggest competitor is Luxottica which owns lens crafters and a few other companies they're still the biggest player in the space just to be clear uh but Warby Parker has made a significant dent and opened up the door for a lot of other competitors in that type of industry, these direct-to-consumer brands. If you look at lens crafters and you look at what their website will say, at least when I was, you know, doing the research here, they changed the things all the time. They would say something about take care of your eyes with a wide range of business solutions. You know, choose from an assortment of quality lenses in the latest eyewear collections online and in-store now. There's nothing there. That's just features, right? That's just yeah. somebody opening their eyes and look—no pun intended—and looking at what's there and grabbing it and putting it on. But if you compare with what a brand like Warby Parker says, they'll say something like, "Buying eyewear should leave you happy and good-looking with money in your pocket. Glasses, yeah. well, sunglasses, <laughs> contacts—we got your eyes covered." Well, automatically, I understand the understanding why you're making the decision that you're—they're trying to make get you to do is that they want to look happy and you want to be good looking and you want to have money left, left over. Right, and right. so that's, that's um, a, a great example of often what happens as a company grows, as a brand matures, the people in charge of communicating get further and further away from the benefit. The features stay as visible as always. You will always see the features. You'll always hear the features, You'll always touch and smell and taste. Those exist. But the benefit is only something that when you're in the problem solving about kind of the invention and creation and entrepreneurship, that's much more uh, uh, present at that moment than it is otherwise. And so as the company grows, as it matures, those get blurrier and blurrier. And so you see this all the time. I and mean, Microsoft has had a hard time with this. but um, uh, there's, there's a number of other um, examples in, in every category where the big entrenched players can lose the thread. A little bit when they compare, when they're compared to kind of the the younger, uh, hungrier upstarts?
0: Well, and psychologically, I believe it's a driver for people, uh, depending on where you sit, because the strata of receivers out there is so massive uh, for a product you might be marketing or a service you might be marketing. So the clearer and the simpler and the more focused. And that's what we're going to talk about right now is focus. Uh, the message is the easier it is to go in that strata. And they always say, well, do you know your customer? I don't always believe that a lot of times, Ben, uh, somebody who's advertising a new product or whatever has done as much research or design to actually know their customer. Uh, I think a lot of times it's, as they say, a pig in a poke. Um, but, but because of people like you, They do do their research and design, which is anybody looking to talk with Ben, go to bengutman.com, and he is still counseling companies who are interested in that. So could you speak with the listeners about being focused in the message that we create and how being unfocused can be a huge problem in getting the message across and responded to?
1: Oh, yeah. So focus is... Uh, I think one of the ones that uh, brands and leaders of all stripes really have a hard time with a lot of times. The the thing about focus, we can only really pay attention to one thing at once. Yeah. There's uh, We can pay attention to things in sequence. We can switch between things, but there's really only one thing at a time that our attention can attend to. Uh, and multitasking is a myth and that's been a thing that's been, you know, people have talked about that for a, for a decade or more about oh, yeah. the myth of multitasking. So, um, focus is acknowledging that you have a small window of possible attention with your receiver and how do you, how do you, how do you distill what you're trying to say down to the one piece that's going to, uh, connect with them? Um, I call I, th- this phenomenon of of being unfocused called the Frankenstein idea. Uh, when I talk to my students every semester, I I give them a midterm assignment. I say, "Here's a brand. Here's their problem. Develop a campaign. Develop a marketing proposal to go fix it." And they come back, and every single semester it's the same story. I give them a big warning about this. So, it, but it, it's 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 that's how hard it is to kind of break the spell in this piece. Is I give them, they come back with what I call the Frankenstein idea yeah. where they say, okay, well, we have, we have, uh, we're going to put drones we're going to put influencers and there's going to be this Bitcoin thing and there's going to be this AI thing. And, and they all, there's three hashtags and they throw it all together and they say more is more, this is great. It's the proposal. And they put it all in this document and they, they show it to me and, and my fellow judges that I bring in and every single time. What'll happen is in the feedback I give to them is I say, well, look, there's something really great here. It's this one piece over here or this other one piece over here. But when you put them together, they're worse than the sum of their parts because you're not, you don't have any focus here. You're not committing to one thing. You're just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. If you look at Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the original book, she describes the monster as having individually beautiful pieces. It can have, you know, lustrous black hair and pearly white eyes, big muscles, all this, all this like positive attributes. They were each individually selected to be great. But when you put them together, it was this gruesome composite. And that happens not just in my student groups, that's happened in almost every collaborative environment that I've ever seen, is that when there isn't a a person who with authority for creative leadership... What happens is you end up in this kind of muddled middle where you have a bunch of different things trying to message at one time, and that just doesn't resonate with how we're built to receive communication.
0: Well, and whether it's a digital agency or ad agency or whatever, it's interesting. Many of them work on this concept of teams, and I'm sure you had teams working as well. And like you said, if there isn't one person kind of driving the train there, uh, it can be challenging at best. Uh, to get that simplicity that you want and focus that you want uh, inside the messaging. And I think your firm, uh, Digital Natives, was really quite um, proficient at doing it, obviously, to land all those big clients. You wouldn't have done it if you weren't good at what you were doing. And your book, you've kind of summed up, you know, much about your career and what you learned in this book. And I'm going to encourage my listeners to go put get simply put, especially if you've got to get a message across. And in closing, Ben, what i like to do is I'd like to go back to that Voyager 1. And you wrote it in the book, and the golden record uh, that was in the Voyager 1. This was the record that would withstand anything. I remember this as clear as it can be about the recording, what was going to be on the recording, the music that was put on it, all the stuff that was, was on that recording. You mentioned that the record passes our simplicity test. Um, what sound advice would you like to leave our listeners with that are crafting a message that they would like to make sure stands the test of time? Now, that's a big one because what I'm asking you is, You're, you're going to leave a legacy here. You're going to leave some very important thing. I think Nike, even though they may have changed it, the just do it is going to like stick with them forever. Um, not that they couldn't change that tagline. They could and their messaging and people do all the time. And sometimes I think, Ben, just from my side of it, I've seen companies change things and frequently I think. They screwed it up more than they got it better.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the Voyager one thing because, so I, even in this conversation, you pulled up a couple. I'm a bit of kind of a space nerd. And so it comes, it does, there are several stories in the book uh, between the the Apollo missions, the Voyager missions, the Columbia uh, disaster, where I do talk about space a lot. And I do it uh, not just because I'm kind of a nerd about it, but also, because I do think it represents some of the the best that we've that we've put out there in terms of everything, in terms of technology, in terms of uh, the humanities, uh, and in terms of communication. The, on the Voyager 1 spacecraft, there's a disc, there's this gold disc that's been stamped with uh, a set of instructions, uh, a set of recordings, some images that's being just shooting off that's been shot off into the cosmos 50 years ago and has been floating around there it's the fat it's the furthest thing that we've ever made it's the fastest thing that we've ever made and it, hopefully one day in maybe the distant distant future some alien uh species will come across it and they'll hear this message in a bottle that's what carl sagan called it that uh, and it was his project the the test there, when, when you look at the, the pieces on, we look at the first words on there, it's the ancient Sumerian language, uh, and it's may all be well. That is the greeting. That's the first thing that you're going to hear when you put them, when, when some future civilization somewhere deep off in the cosmos puts it on, may all be well. And I think that this passes the test, uh, because it, it, the, the disc matches the, uh, you know, uh, adheres to some of the principles that we talked about, but it also goes back to that first piece there, which is, um, it, it is about caring for the receiver. And that's ultimately what it is, is that you have to be receiver focused. You have to care about them. You have to, um, you have to say something that matters to them and, uh, everything else is really a detail at that point. And so I hope that, you know, hope that one day, you know, that'll, that'll be, a a, a uh, that'll be found by somebody somewhere. Uh, but in the interim, if, you know, if you're interested in learning more about this, I mean, there's a, ton of stuff in the book there's more stuff i you know post online and I email and um you know i if you, if there's anything i do to help anybody let me know uh, i would you know or if even the book just made a small difference to you i'd love to hear that
0: well i think the message you just gave about caring for the receiver is really the most important one and if we only remembered one thing from that story that you told in the book as senders was to care for our receivers And if that's all you knew about sending a message, you would find that that compassion, that understanding, that empathy, I think would naturally translate into something that was beneficial, focused, salient, empathetic, and minimal. Uh, And those three or four words that you told that are part of that golden record said it all. Um, So I just want to thank you for being on the show, spending time with us. Talking about your put, we'll put a link uh, to Ben's website there. There's a lot of resources, so go check it out. But the book is called Simply Put uh, by Ben Gutman Why Clear Messages Win and How to Design Them. And the key is how to design them. If you're really looking to learn how to design them, uh, get the book. The other thing is go to the website, it's B E N G U T T M A N N dot com. There you can learn more, you can sign up for his newsletter. Uh, you can learn more about the book. Um, I think you can get an ex- excerpt of the book from there too, can't you, Ben? Don't you have a download? Oh yeah, there's a where? free
1: chapter. If yeah. if, if this speaks your interest, go grab the free chapters on my website.
0: Yep. So, uh, Ben, thanks so much for informing me and informing our listeners about a very important piece. And I want to say truly, making it simple—that was the best part. Right. You made this whole thing mm-hmm. very simple. <laughs>
1: I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, Greg. It's been a great time.
0: Uh, It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast on Inside Personal Growth. We appreciate your support. And for more information about new podcasts, please go to InsidePersonalGrowth.com or any of your favorite channels to listen to our podcast. Thanks again and have a wonderful day.